this morning and thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence and just worship you together and love on you. Because you've been so good to us, Lord. So good. Lord, we just come before you this morning with humble hearts, ready to surrender, ready to listen to your word, and ready to grow, Father, and learn to worship and surrender to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I heard uh, Bill Johnson say this last week. He says, if you want to know your purpose in life, just come before the Lord with absolute surrender. And he went on to say that prayer is true and intimate surrender to God and that when we get into his presence, he shapes us. I thought that was just really, really good. And it fit to share in this message. I knew I was going to be up in the rotation again here uh, a few weeks back, and I was sitting at home, and I was listening to some Hillsong's music, and one of the lines came up on the Apple TV. When you're watching on, on TV, it has the words that come up along, so you can do karaoke, I guess, if you want to. But uh, I, was, I was singing along, and, what, and it highlights the line that it's on when, when, it, when they're singing it. And it would highlighted worship and surrender. And immediately, I felt God say that that's your next message title. I always get the message title first, and then I go to work on researching and trying to create the message. And I knew immediately that God said, this is your message title. And here we are. And I feel like we need to really understand this. We need to worship him more. We need to surrender to his will quicker in our life. So I pray that you hear the words this morning and that you practice worship on more than just Sunday mornings, okay? He desires it. And as he's promised to give us the desires of our heart, I think it's only fair in return that we give him back one of the desires of his heart, and that's the worship from us, his kids. Sounds like a fair trade, I would say. So when I mention worship, I sure you think of like that slow song we just sang, right? And maybe our eyes are closed and our hands are raised and we're singing to God. And, and yes, that is worship. We're focusing on his greatness and his majesty. But if we look at some of the definitions and words we, we, words we see to describe this, one of them is odd response, not O-D-D, but A-W-E-D, this odd response or to ascribe worth to some person or thing, or to pray ho pay homage to. But the one definition I really liked was this odd response. And it says, the odd response to the saving acts and praiseworthy character of God. So let's face it. If we make this our focus in our life, no matter what else is going on around us, no matter what difficulties we may be facing, the fact that God saved us to the death and resurrection of Jesus is worthy of worshiping him in all that we do. It's, it's not going to be easy in all situations, right? Sometimes there's going to be trials and tribulations that come our way that are going to make worshiping maybe a little bit more difficult, but it's important that we do it. Isaiah 6, 1 to 5 says this, It was the king, it was the year King Uzziah died and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices actually shook the temple to its foundation, and the entire building filled with smoke. 
Then I said, this is Isaiah, it's all over, I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. In these verses, we hear about the vision that Isaiah had, and he, and he sees these incredible beings flying around the throne of God, worshiping him, holy, 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 and they're crying out. And Isaiah sees this, he, he hears this, and he becomes very aware of his, his unworthiness, his sin, his filthiness when compared to the holiness of God. And he actually says, I'm doomed. And I think if we entered in the, if we saw this vision too, we would probably feel the same way. So in those verses, the triple use of holy emphasized the absolute separateness and absolute moral purity of the Lord. And when it mentions the seraphim, and seraphim actually meant flames, so they could actually be described as these fiery angelic beings. They had six wings, which would suggest that they're probably pretty powerful. That even these fiery, powerful, angelic beings, these superhuman creatures humbled themselves before the Lord by covering their face when near him. One commentary on this verse actually says, all vain glory, ambition, ignorance, and pride would be done away by one view of Christ and his glory. In Revelations 4, 6, and 11, we, fe- we hear of another encounter or a vision uh, in, the thr- in a throne room visit. And it says, around the throne on each side stood these four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature resembled a lion, the second an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. It's going to be interesting to get there someday and see these things. Eh? <laughs> Why did you create them looking like this? be a good question to ask. Each of the four living creatures had six wings full of eyes all around and under their wings. They worshipped without ceasing all day. Again, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And whenever these creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to the one who is enthroned and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell face down before the one seated on the throne and they worshiped the one who lives forever and ever. And they surrendered their crowns before the throne, singing, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and power. So I heard one speaker say that uh, this about these creatures and why they kept singing and saying all day long, holy, holy, holy. It was because every time they circled the throne, they saw a new and unique aspect of God, and they couldn't help but worship him. And I thought that was just a cool explanation. So I asked, when is the last time you saw a new aspect of God? When is the last time you fell face down and surrender before him? I think I could safely say that maybe many of us, none of us have done this recently. Maybe you have, but maybe it's time that we enter in again and worship. In the book of John, we hear the story of the woman at the well, and in verse 23 and 24, Jesus tells us this. He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What Jesus is saying here is that it doesn't really matter where you worship. In our times, you'd probably say, look, you don't need to wait till Sunday morning to worship the Father. Do it in your car on the way to work in the morning. Do it while you're getting ready. Do it in your quiet time during your devotions. True worship is not mere form and ceremony, but a spiritual reality 
which is in harmony with the nature of God, who is spirit. He is saying, just worship me in truth that is transparent and sincere. When we actually look at the word worship, it's actually our responsibility to discover how the Lord wants to be worshipped and to explore and cultivate a relationship with him out of which sincere Holy Spirit-enabled worship will flow. Jesus instructed us to worship in spirit that is alive through our new birth in Christ. John John talks in chapter 1 that all who believed him, Jesus, and accepted him, that he gave us the right to become children of God. That we were reborn, not with this physical birth, but a birth that comes from God. And Jesus says later in chapter 3 that Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So once we have this new birth, it's our responsibility to come before the Lord in a sincere, humble manner with transparency and relational integrity meaning and being what we say as well as being spiritually energized in our worship. And this opens the way to that type of worship that our Father Father is seeking from us. So if you ever come in here on a Sunday morning, maybe you're not totally awake, your body's saying, oh, it would have been nice to have a couple more hours sleep today. Be honest. Have you ever? I'm hearing some giggles, so I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, okay. it, It happens, right? Maybe, even maybe, you're a little bit grumpy. That could just be me. And then that song starts. It's one of our favorites, right? Maybe we, we stand and we start singing and maybe showing a little, little energy and not really into it. And then that song comes on. And whatever it is about this song, it's one of our favorite songs and the words of it just resonate down to our innermost being. And we find ourselves entering in, right? Our arms go up, our eyes close, we smile to our dad. Our mood lifts, we experience joy, and we get energized. We've surrendered our mood and self to the Father and expressing our love to him through song. That song did it for me this morning. It brought tears to my eyes. Because I know he is so good. He is so good. And he desires us to just enter in like that and worship him. I love worshiping at church. I need to get better worshiping at home. And it's our job, for lack of a better term, maybe I can even say our responsibility, to do this, to worship him. Jesus actually says in Luke 19.40 that if we don't, that the very stones would break forth with praises. In the previous verses, we again see the religious leaders of the day telling Jesus, hey, keep your followers in order, Jesus. They're getting a little bit rambunctious and a little bit crazy, right? And all they were doing was shouting over and over again, highest praises to God for the one who comes as king in the name of the Lord. Heaven's peace and glory from the highest realm now comes to us. They were doing their job. They were praising God. And of course, the religious leaders, whoa, 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 hey, they're getting a little rowdy. Calm them down. Calm them down. But I don't know about you. I don't want to say, hey, hey, guess what happened today? I lost my job to a rock. Right? Like, (laughs) not the rock, like Dwayne Johnson, but I lost my job to a rock. Right? I wasn't doing my job, so guess what? The rock started crying out instead. 
So how do we worship? If we think back to my favorite definition, we should worship with awe. Deuteronomy 10.12 from the Amplified says this, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require you of you but reverently? Reverently to fear the Lord your God. That is to walk in His ways and to love Him and to serve the Lord your, Lord your God with what? All your mind and your heart and your entire being. Sounds simple enough. So how are we doing in that area? Are we serving him with our mind and heart and entire being? Are we fearing him? And it doesn't mean to be scared, right? We hear that word fear of the Lord many times throughout Scripture and in teachings, and I've always kind of understood it and could kind of explain it. But I was listening to John Bevere the other day, and he described it like this, and I just thought it was so good. He says, The fear of the Lord is really being terrified of being separated from him. What separates us from God? Our sin. If we really had that deep down fear of being separate from Him, would that maybe stop us from sin? I mean, we're going to sin. We're imperfect human beings, right? We're going to slip and fall occasionally. But are we going to be quick to repent? Quick to get back into relationship? He went on to say that so many people he meets love Jesus, but they don't fear God. That true fear, that their fear of being separated from Him. I thought that was just so good. He then said something cool. He said, we as Christians are on a road, this road called life. And on this road, on the, both sides of this road are two ditches. On one side, on the, side, on the left, is the, the ditch of legalism. And on the right is the ditch of lawlessness. He says, the love of God keeps us out of the ditch of legalism, the rules and regulations of religion. It's religious spirit, right? You know, all those rules that you hear in some, you know, obviously the Word of God we follow, but the other rules, that religious spirit, the love of God keeps us out of that ditch. And the fear of the Lord keeps us out of that ditch of lawlessness because we don't want to do anything that will separate us from the Lord. I thought that was just a great example, a great illustration. So we worship in awe. Psalm 68, 35 says, God, we are consumed with awe, trembling before you as your glory streams from your holy place. But not only should we worship in awe, we should worship with joy. Remember my grumpy mood mentioned earlier? Well, it's not really possible to be grumpy in worship. You can't. You're not really entering in. You're just going through the motions. You're faking it. You're putting on your best smiley face because, you know, you're in church and people got it. You can't be grumpy in worship. It's not going to work. You're not going to enter in. The walls are up. The heart is hardened. Heart is hardened. But it's also not really possible to worship and be grumpy. If you're in the throne room, if you've entered in, there's no way you're going to be grumpy. You might be convicted, right? You might be convicted. Get right, but you're not going to be grumpy. You're going to feel the love of the Father embracing you when you worship Him. So remember, we need to worship with joy. I heard somebody say this yesterday. I thought it was awesome. I, just, I threw it in here last night. It says, if you're going to be grumpy and judgmental, don't tell people you're a Christian. So good. So good. So we're giving him some instructions and in psalms on how to do this. Psalm 95.1 says, Come on, everyone. Let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout our loudest praises to our God who saved us. We all know heaven's going to be a little bit louder than we're used to probably, right? 
I think probably we're a little bit too quiet sometimes. Revelation 19.6 says, Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean, waves, or the crash of loud thunder. You know those thunderstorms that roll through and the whole house shakes? That ain't nothing <laughs> compared to what's going to be. So, so praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to Him. And then Psalm 27.5 and 6 and this doesn't give you reason to be happy and to worship and to praise him. Listen to this. In his shelter in the day of trouble, that's where you'll find me. For he hides me there in his holiness. He has smuggled me into his secret place where I'm kept safe and secure, out of the reach from my enemies. Triumphant now, I will bring my offerings of praise, singing and shouting with ecstatic joy. Yes, listen, you can hear the fanfare of my shouts of praise to the Lord. He saved us. He's hidden us in this secret place. He's protected us from our enemies. And like I said, I think we've maybe been a, a tad too quiet lately. Maybe it's time to shout again. Maybe it's time to take back the territory the devil has stolen and to shout our way over the victory of that sin or that sickness or that need that we are in or to shout our way to joy and out of depression. In fact, maybe we should practice right now. We won't. Practice today, though. God only wants us to worship Him with joy-filled and grateful hearts. He also wants us to surrender and to submit to His will for our life. Remember I said at the beginning that God shapes us in His presence. All that's required is, of us is complete surrender. When you go to that de the definition of surrender as a verb, it means to stop resisting and submit to authority. Surrender as a noun says it's the action of yielding one's person or giving up possession of something, maybe our lives, into the power of another. God's? Some synonyms are give up, hand over, lay down, relinquish, submit. Now, 2 Chronicles 7.14, which we've heard a lot in recent years, it says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Usually I stop there. But you know what the next verse says? If we do this, you know what the next verse says? It says that his eyes will be open and his ears will be attentive to every prayer. All we need to do is surrender. But I like the way the Amplified uh, words this verse. It's very good. It says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek, crave, and require of necessity my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So I think the church is in the position it's in today and our country is in the trouble it's in and the world is the way it is right now is because we, the church, is not craving the necessity of God like he wants us to. Charles Finney, who lived in the 1800s, said this, When you come back to God for pardon and salvation, come with all you have to lay all at his feet. Come with your body to offer it as a living sacrifice upon his altar. Come with your soul and all its power and yield them in willing consecration to your God and Savior. Come, bring them all along. Everything, body, soul, intellect, imagination, acquirements, all without reserve. Everything. And James has some great promises in chapter 4. 
It says, so then surrender to God, stand up, and the devil, uh, stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will turn and run away from you. I love the wording of this. It's from the Passion Translation. Turn, run away from you, right? I just picture a dog with his tail tucked between its legs, taken off. And all we have to do is resist. We don't have to do anything else. No. Done. Off he goes, running like a little dog with his tail between his legs. But yet we give him more power over our life than he really deserves at times, don't we? But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. Feel the pain of your sin. Be sorrowful and weep. Let your joking around be turned into mourning and your joy into deep humiliation. Be willing to made low before the Lord, and he will exalt you. John Calvin said this. He says, until men feel that they owe everything, that they owe everything to God, that they are cherished by his parental care, and that he is the author of their blessings, so that nothing is to be looked, looked for away from him, they will never submit to him in voluntary obedience. Indeed, unless they place their entire happiness in him, they will never yield up their whole selves to him in truth and sincerity. So what's stopping you from yielding your whole self to him? Reflect on that question this week. Pray about it. Seek wisdom around that question. And when he gives you the answer, because he will, act on it. Lord, what is holding me back from completely surrendering to your will in my life? Reveal it to me. Show me, Father, so I can be closer to you. And, th and this one here is like you know, it's from St. Richard. He lived in the 1200s. He says, Thanks be to thee, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits thou hast given me, for all the pains and insults thou hast borne for me. O, o most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may I know thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly. Just get up in the morning and pray that, Father. I want to know you better. I want to know you, Father. I want to love you more. And I want to follow you more. Show me how. Surrendering is going to involve humility in our part, a giving up, on self, <clears throat> giving up of self and a total resilience on the Father and reliance on the Father, sorry. In Hosea 14, we see God's prophet once again calling Israel to repentance. Their sins have gotten them into trouble again where they're about to be destroyed. But the loving Father sends a warning and this call to repent and if they do, he says, then I will heal you of your faithful, faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. My anger will be gone forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like a lily. They will send roots deep into the soil like the cedars of Lebanon. The branches will spread out like beautiful olive trees, as fragrant of this, as the cedars of Lebanon. My people will again live under my shade. They will flourish like grain and blossom like grapevines. That sounds like a pretty good life. All they need to do to claim this uh, promise is surrender, humble themselves, and repent. But them, like us, so many times in our lives think, <laughs> I can do this. I don't need help. I've got it. And sometimes they just don't get me, right? Sometimes they just don't get me. I know. Then why don't I do? I'm sure a pastor can fill me in. <laughs> I told him once, I said, 
Well, I'm, 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 you know, what was I? I forget what we're talking about. I said something sarcastic about, oh, I know I'm perfect. I don't have any faults. He goes, let's go for lunch. <laughs> I'll fill you in. I'm like, no, I'm kidding. I know I have faults. I don't need that. <laughs> I said, you always know when you're in trouble when Pastor phones you and says, do you have time for lunch today? It's like, uh oh, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> I'm kidding. I love you guys. All right. So <laughs> when, um, when I think about this whole, you know, do it on my own sometimes. This is what James actually calls being double-minded. And if we investigate the de definition and context that he was using in these verses in the book of James, he says that our loyalty is actually divided between God and the world. And when reading and studying this, I was convicted because there are so many days in my life when I know I'm walking the line too closely to the world. I need to do better. And entering into worship more consistently is going to help with that, Right? When I get like this, i got to remember the words Thomas Kempis said. He says, realize that you must lead a dying life. The more a man dies to himself, the more he begins to live unto God. And 1 Peter 2.24 says that he, Jesus, personally carried my sins in, the, in his body on the cross so that I could be dead to sin and live for what is right. I'm going to just sort of close here with one last scripture, and it's Galatians 2.20 from the Passion Translation. And I think, you know, our Christian life can be somewhat summed up in this. It says, My old, ident my old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah and no longer lives. For the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Did you hear that line? My new life is empowered by the faith of who? The Son of God. Not me. The Son of God. By the faith of Jesus, he, his faith empowers my life. So church, such a life of surrender is pleasing to God. It results in human fulfillment, but my goodness, think of the ultimate heavenly rewards we will reap by, having, by leading this life of complete surrender to him. So let's remember to continually worship him and surrender to his will in our lives. And if we do that, it's going to be a good life, no matter what's going on around us. Okay, So, Father God, we just thank you for this word this morning, Lord. We just pray that we would be encouraged and reminded throughout the week to enter into worship consistently with you, Father, more frequently so that we could know you better, so that we could have a more intimate relationship with you, that we could, so that we could love you more and, and live this life full of great promises, Father, if we just honor you in all that we do. Lord, we give this morning over to you, this day over to you, Lord. And as we go from here, Lord, I just pray that you would keep everyone safe. Bring us back together to worship again, Lord. And Father, just help us to worship you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.